Hey, we're getting into a new series today, and um, kind of, you know, we sat down as a team, and we talked through a whole year of series, and we kind of map out, sometimes we change, but we kind of map out the subjects, and invariably when I get to that subject, I go, oh man, why did I pick the subject? I don't have... I, I don't have enough material on this, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, you know, and I kind of panic, but then when I get into it, I, I realize, then, then I, boy, I need six months to talk about this. It's such a big subject. I kind of feel that way about this one, because we're talking about uh, the crowd versus the cloud. I think we kind of all, we're going to define it the better as we get into the sermon this morning, what the crowd means and what the cloud means, but I, what I want to make very clear in this series is we're not talking about being a contrarian and antisocial and resist every trend. I mean, remember bell bottoms? Aren't you glad we moved on? Shag carpet. Shag carpet. Aren't you glad we moved on from shag carpet? Burnt orange carpet. I, I used to preach in churches all around the country and and uh, I would go in, and many churches had burnt orange carpet. And I think the brides of the universe rose up in protest against burnt orange carpet. Because you, you try to match that with anything, man, and have a wedding, you're, you're, you're in trouble, man. Um, so uh, a, a lot of things, uh, uh, we always want to listen. When the, when the culture, the crowd, begins to say something, it's good to step back and listen. I mean... Um, We've learned greater sensitivity to our our ladies and women because culture said, "Hey, you guys aren't you guys are being a bit uh, jerks here a little bit. You need to you you know." I, I found it myself. I, I still have to stop and think when I use language that that I don't just say he and him and my illustrations. You know, I, I don't always get it right, but uh, yeah, greater sensitivity. Um, I, I believe. Uh, a greater kindness and sensitivity to those who are same-sex attracted. Greater kindness and sensitivity and compassion for those who are suffering from gender dysphoria. That's not a bad thing for the church to, to say, okay, we can do better. We can be more kind. We can be more compassionate. We can be more loving. We can be more sensitive. Sure, absolutely. We, we, we've sometimes been not that way, right? So we're not talking about being contrarians and just, well, what if the culture says we're going to be, you know, we all know somebody like that, right? <laughs> just, just antisocial, contrarian, challenging nature. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what is your ultimate source of truth? What is your ultimate source of direction? Is it the culture? Is it God? That's a decision that we're going to talk about in the next four weeks. What is, what is our ultimate source of truth? Is it what this group or that group, the group that influences you the most? A crowd doesn't have to be the whole culture. It can be your friend group, can be your crowd. It can be, your, it can be where you work, that's your crowd, that you have great difficulty taking any position that doesn't please them or might threaten your status there. And that's a real thing right now. So we're going we're gonna to work through this, and it's going to be maybe um, challenging at times, but it's gonna, I think it's going to be fun, too. I always find God's Word fun. Um, that's my sense of humor, I think. I find, it, I find something funny in the Word of God. Laughter does good like a medicine, right? 
So let's read the, read the text. It's about Israel. Some of you know. Some of you have been around the church for a while. You know. Some of you don't have a clue. What cloud crowd? What's he talking about? That's all right. Uh, we're all together now. And uh, the, 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 the Israel has, has been in, in Egypt for about 40 years. They've grown to a population of about 2 million. God has sent Moses back, who grew up there, had to run away when he, he got a little overzealous and got out of God's timing for delivering the people of Israel. And he had to go away for, for, uh, for a period of time. And he goes back, and the prophet Moses delivers them out of Egypt. And they, they cross the Red Sea. God kills all the uh, Egyptian army that's chasing them across the Red Sea that's been parted, causes the sea to get back on them. They cross the Red Sea. They have a big praise party. A woman named Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, begins to play the tambourine, and they had a praise party on the other side. And now they're starting the journey to what is now Palestine. We know they made it because Israel's a nation in Palestine, so we know they made it. But they're starting a journey through the wilderness, light and dark. And here's what the Bible says. God gave them, God gave them a cloud, a pillar of cloud. It was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, to guide them across the wilderness. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided them light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from the place in front of the people. Exodus chapter 13, verse 20 through 22. So this series is about those two major forces that determine human action, moral standards, deeply held beliefs, God's revealed will and wisdom. That's what it's about. And it's represented by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. I mentioned in our text, uh, of course, and, and the natural inclination, uh, inclination of humans is to follow what is trending or what is rewarded by your social network. These dynamics, of course, were demonstrated repeatedly in the nation of Israel throughout their journey in the wilderness to the Promised Land and after they were supernaturally released from the enslavement in Egypt. The same group energy that would sweep them into that ecstatic praise as they crossed the Red Sea and on dry land, that same uh, dynamic, that same social dynamic, that same group dynamic, which, by the way, were all wired, were all wired to move in the momentum of a group dynamic. Thank God. Thank God it's part of the joy of life is that you move with a group dy dynamic and, and everybody's cheering. You get up and cheer. You don't even know why you're cheering, but everybody's cheering. Or, you know, you're, you've probably seen the experiment where you, one person starts looking up. Pretty soon everybody's looking up to see what they're looking up at. That's God has wired, wired us, and, and you can't totally resist it. God has wired us with a sheep-like nature. God has, God has wired us to follow. God has wired us to follow leadership. God has wired us because otherwise we would never get anything done. We'd never accomplish anything if we all had to be the ultimate expert on everything. If we could never take anybody's word for it. Imagine living your life and you never take anybody's word for anything. You have to, you have to be the original source of all information in your life. You can't live like that. You have, to have a, you have to have a source of information. But what if you only have a human source of information? And what if you do not have a transcendent source of information? 
What if you do not have an eternal divine source of information? What if you don't have a source of one that has all the information, all the facts at his disposal, not just some of the facts at his disposal? What, what, what if you don't have the perspective of one for whom it is not to his advantage for you to go his way? God doesn't need you to vote for Him. God doesn't need you. God doesn't benefit. Heaven, heaven doesn't get bigger or prettier or, or better because you do the right thing. God is the... I, I'm going to make the case in the next four weeks that God, that this transcendent source of information, this transcendent source of truth is the only source of truth that only has your best interest at heart. That human beings, no matter how wonderful they are, including this one, our motives are mixed. We can't help it. Our motives are mixed at anything we ask you to do. Now, it doesn't mean they're wrong or evil. They're just mixed. It's impossible to be totally unselfish as a human being. It's impossible for you or I to, to be totally without self-interest. Okay? God is the only cre creation, the only, you know, he's not a creation, but the only being in the universe for whom self-interest does not guide him. That's, that's why we, well, I'm getting off, but I'm getting, not off, but I'm getting down a side trail. It's agape. Agape love is love that, that wills the other person's highest good completely. So, um, this, but, but Israel, that, like I said, like where I was going when I, sit, when I, when I went that, down that trail, where I was going with that was that same uh, social dynamic that caused them to have ecstatic worship and play the tambourine and sing that great song that you can go back in Exodus, an early part of Exodus, I believe it's chapter 4, and look at after the crossing of the Red Sea would cause them as one man a few days later into their trek to the Sinai when there was a water shortage, the people rose up and complained and questioned whether God was even with them at all. And Moses, the Bible says, the Bible says in Exodus 17 verse 5, and Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, if you, you, you don't have the full appreciation of that unless you go back and you read about the ten incredible miracles that God performed and then he brought them across the Red Sea and for them when they had the first crisis the entire crowd was saying I don't even know if we believe in God anymore. You relate to that, don't you? God sent them miraculous food called manna. And they as one man, as a group, the crowd, they complained bitterly to God. So God sent them quail, which they gorged themselves on until it came out their noses. And then while Moses was on the mountain, now they'd had, they had this encounter with God at, when God appeared on Mount Sinai because they were they were terrified of God and they asked God to please not talk to them because it was so powerful and overwhelming. But yet, while Moses is up there getting the Ten Commandments, they, they insisted on a, a golden, they built a golden calf to worship. That's what the crowd did. And then, 
More than 250 of the sons of Korah died when the earth opened up and swallowed them because they were all complaining about Moses' leadership. The whole crowd began to complain about Moses' leadership. And I guarantee you, during that time, you were the weirdo if you were saying, well, Moses is a pretty good guy. You were the weirdo. You were out, man, because the, the, the narrative that had spread through Israel was the look what he's gotten us into. Then, of course, there was the final rebellion that caused the original population of the Exodus to die in the wilderness when the entire nation was convinced over a negative report by ten men that it was too hazardous to venture into the Promised Land. Douglas Murray has written about the concept of the madness of crowds. I love, don't you love that title? The Madness of Crowds, the title of his book, which uh, refers to the phenomenon of large groups of people behaving irrationally and making poor decisions as a result of a mob mentality in his book, The Madness of Crowds. Time after time, the crowd overruled the cloud. God put this cloud out there for to guide them. If I had it to do over, I think I would call today's sermon the forward look, not the upward look, because it really was about looking forward and up. Because it was... Um, uh, ancient generals in that time used huge bonfires and by day would send smoke signals and by night the bonfire would direct massive armies. I'm talking about three, four, five, ten thousand soldiers would be guided across uh, the, the terrain by a bonfire that would send up smoke signals. In fact, um, uh, in uh, ancient Greece, the philosopher and general Xenophon, I think I pronounced that correctly, uh, uh, described the use of bonfires as a means of signaling to his troops in his work, Anabesis. According to Xenophon, a bonfire would be lit on a high point in a, as a signal to the troops who would then light their own bonfires to indicate they had received the message. So what God did for them was common to their culture. They understood that whoever lit the bonfire, whoever lit the bonfire out there and created that column of smoke, that pillar of smoke, think of a pillar as that vertical uh, thing that would happen, that was, that, was, that was the general, that was the commander. Whoever was lighting the fire out in the distance, in, the, in the, their forward look, was, was what was leading them forward. Aren't you glad that God is leading you forward? God's not leading you into your past. He's leading you into your future. And it's good. It, the, the promised land is in your future. God is leading you forward. God, see, you can't just always be looking around. You've got to be looking forward. You can't be looking back. You've got to be looking forward. So God is in your future. He's leading us into your future. And, so, and he's also saying, by, by lighting the fire out there for you, he's saying, I am, I am general God. I am Commander God. Commander God, General God, is where there's ultimate truth. Now there's truth, like I, like I said, in the opening. A lot of these things we're hearing from our culture, you've got to, you've got to become a, a connoisseur. You, you've got to become uh, uh, someone who can extricate everything the culture is saying and pick out what is helpful and what is true and then leave the other aside when it doesn't agree with God. Now that's my conviction. My conviction, I will go as far as I can with culture until it doesn't agree with God, until it doesn't agree with God's Word. I can't rewrite the Scripture. I can't rewrite the script in order to please the culture. I can't do it. 
the script has been faithful for thousands of years, and it will be faithful down the road, I believe with all my heart. Okay? The lesson of the cloud is God is always leading us into a brighter future. Leaving Egypt means leaving tyranny. Simply put, Satan is a malevolent force that prevents you from fully enjoying or benefiting for your creator. That's what he is. Leaving Egypt means leaving a place of oppression to a place of freedom. I don't know, is Donna Carroll, do you hear this morning? She'll be in second service probably. Um, I was talking to Donna the other day, and, and she was reminding me of her own story. As you know, Donna works for us at the Blessing Barn. And uh, uh, she's, te- she's given her testimony, so I'm not talking out of school here to talk about her. But uh, Donna was uh, a, a, a really um, a crippled by alcoholism when she came to this church. And it was really destroying her life. She probably wasn't going to live much longer. And she told me, she said, uh, I was sitting in the service, and, and I, I love this kind of story, uh, because I, even though I love to preach and teach, I, I recognize and I'm reminded constantly that uh, the work of God is not limited to, a, or, or, or often, maybe it's not even often uh, the result of preaching and teaching, but it's the sovereign move and work of the Holy Spirit. Where two of them gather together, he's in the midst. I mean, it's something very powerful about meeting together, church. And she said, I was in service. And she said, the, God just spoke to me and said, you're done drinking. You're not drinking anymore. And that was it. And she stopped drinking that day. And her whole life has been transformed and been changed. And she told me the other day she's working on her GED. And you know, when she finishes that, she's going to go for uh, uh, training to be an addiction counselor. I'm telling you, that's the work of God in people's lives. And no one, not, the world cannot duplicate it. Leaving Egypt behind means leaving a negative cycle of patterns and behaviors. Leaving them behind. We all have them. We all have negative cycles of patterns of behaviors that we can leave in Egypt if we will be willing to. Maybe there's somebody here to do a, today who hasn't left Egypt yet. And that's a type of, that's a type of receiving... Christ is our Moses who leads us out of that identification as Egyptians and makes us the children of God. And if you haven't made that step today, I certainly hope I can persuade you to do that. Leaving Egypt means leaving aimlessness. There's no permanence in Israel. No matter how, much, no matter how hard they worked, everything they did belonged to Pharaoh. No, 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 matter, no matter how productive they were, there was no permanence. They would never have a legacy. They would never have a legacy. And that's what I see when I begin to walk with God. I begin to have a legacy. I begin to have a family legacy. I I begin to have a ministry legacy. I begin to have a personal legacy when I begin to walk with God. I love this meme. I I shared it in, in social media this week. And it goes like this. You can't... You can't go back and change the beginning... But you can start where you are and change the ending. I love that. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. See, you can leave Egypt today. Just don't be naive, though, and think that crossing the Red Sea means you're in the Promised Land. The journey can be treacherous. You can pick up bondage on the journey. 
in, 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 there are bondages that can rob you of your liberty in the journey just as surely as living under the direct rule of the adversary can rob you of your liberty. But this time it's your fault. <laughs> this time it's because you did not listen to the voice of God. You have the power to do that. You see, it's like this, guys. The forces that work to disrupt and rob them of their divine purpose were not confined to Egypt. Some people, some people, you know, just spend their whole Christian life just celebrating their salvation from, from sin. Just celebrating their deliverance from Egypt. Well, you should continue to celebrate your deliverance from Egypt, but there's a journey that you've got to go on. There's a journey, and that journey has opportunities for pitfalls. That journey has opportunities for bondages. That, that journey, can, you, you, can be, you can take that journey with joy, or you can take that journey with sorrow. You can take that journey in freedom and peace, or you can have that journey with disruption and a lack of peace. You can, you can take that journey and enjoy your, your fellow travelers, or you can always be at conflict with your fellow travelers. It is a, it, this is a difficult journey. This is not an easy journey. Yes, it's not like the bondage of Egypt. You're not enslaved like you were in Egypt, but this is not an easy journey. It's, sometimes it's very hard for people to grasp the fact that the Christian life can be hard. That walking from, walking from Egypt to the promised land can be difficult. It, can be, it will be challenging. You will get tired. You will want to quit. You will want to go back to Egypt. I will promise you, you will want to go back. Galatians 6, 7 says, You were running so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? Exodus 23, 2 says, Do not follow the crowd. Now, now this, is, this is after they're out of Egypt. Pharaoh wasn't the problem anymore. Pharaoh was done. They defeated Pharaoh. You know, he was a type of Satan. They defeated Satan. Satan was underneath their feet. They were done with Satan. But he says, he didn't say, Don't listen to the devil. He said, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. See, that deliverance praise party work broke out at the crossing of the Red Sea, but the Christian life just can't be an endless salvation praise party. You've got you to walk this thing out. The Christian life is a journey. A, a journey is what's next. A journey is about maturity. A journey is about suffering patiently. A journey is about looking forward to godly goals that God put in your life. A journey is about participation in corporate accomplishments. Jason made that allusion a while ago, or that reference about worshiping together. The worship is a corporate experience. Building a church is a corporate experience. God has called you to share in a corporate experience of building something together with others. So, so that's part of the journey. Journey is ultimately experiencing the joy of the new heavens and the new earth. Also, knowing their constant need for guidance, governance, and perspective, God gave them a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. I want you to notice with me that he gave them something that would enable them to travel in the dark. I know some of you are, are in the dark right now. You're traveling in the dark. The, they would travel in the dark in those days a lot of times because the desert heat was so hot that they would travel at night. They would also travel at night because they were less obvious to 
uh, uh, adversarial peoples around them. So they would travel at night. And you know, God, God requires us to travel in the dark sometimes. God requires us to travel with a medical diagnosis that is unfavorable. God requires us to travel when our children are uh, being rebellious and, and uh, wayward. God, God requires us to travel when our emotions are um, not supporting us as we would like, when we don't have joy, and sometimes we don't even know why we don't have joy, but we just don't have joy. God, God requires us to travel when the world around us seems to be against us. God requires us to keep moving when it feels a sense, when we're in a sense of despair. But he has asked us, he has asked us to make him our reason for going forward. You know, it's kind of like you're, you're walking along a cliff blindfolded and God is holding your hands and he's saying, trust me. Some of you are here today and you're in that situation where God is just saying, trust me right now. Let's keep walking. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving forward. The cloud is the... I want to define the cloud right now. The cloud is the tangible reminder of God's presence and His guarantee of guidance on the journey. It's a tangible reminder of God's presence and His guarantee of guidance in the journey. I mean... Many of you have this experience where you come to church and a song is sung and that song answers the question that you had all week. Right? Many of you come and I will say something or maybe my subject will be what you were talking about on the car on the way here, right? Happens all the time. Not because I'm anything special, but because God, if you will, if you will look up and out, you see, you've you got a choice. You can keep looking within. But looking within, you will never find guidance. You've got to look out and up to find guidance. And, and if you will always look up and out, you will always, God will always give you tangible reminders of his, of his presence and of his guidance. It might be a book that someone hands you. It might be a book that you download, and you're not sure why you download it, but you start reading it, and you realize... This is answering my questions. This is a tangible reminder. The Bible even says that God has put in the church pastors, evangelists, apostles, prophets, and teachers to equip the saints for ministry. God, God is not just giving you, God is not just uh, giving you a, a, a body of teaching that you have to memorize, and God, God is not just uh, said, uh, you know, I, I. I I, I talked to someone, uh, a very, very uh, educated individual, um, and, and, and one who, 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 who claimed that they were Christians a few months ago, and, and they told me they did not believe the Bible was reliable. And, and I said, well, well I said, well, well uh, I asked the question, well, well, how do you have faith? He said, well, I, j I just have faith because I have faith. I just believe because I believe. And uh, um, uh, I said, well, you know, and we, we talked about some moral issues, which, which, which uh, he, uh, his, his moral... <laughs> Most people, uh, you know, when they have a problem 
with the Bible, it's, it's not an intellectual uh, um, it's not an intellectual motive, it's, it's moral. There's something the Bible says that they don't like. And so suddenly the Bible's not credible anymore. You know, all those nice verses like um, doing others and having doing to you, that's great, that's the Word of God. You know, which it is the Word of God, by the way. Or all those nice, kind verses are the Word of God. You know, I, 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 I smile sometimes when I see uh, Twitter and other places. I see these people that are, they, they call themselves red-letter Christians. I only read the letters in red. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, the words of Jesus are in red. And I, I always want to, I never, I don't argue on Twitter. I don't, I don't do social media or debates because you never win one. I'm telling you, you'll, you'll go down a rabbit hole you'll never get out of. And I don't go there, you know. I, sometimes I'll ask them a question. That's as far as I go. But, um. But uh, I want to ask these people, have you read all the red words of Jesus? Because some of them were pretty harsh. <laughs> you know, some of them were pretty tough. You know? So I don't think they're really reading all the red words of Jesus. But this is a good person, and I really appreciated my conversation with this gentleman. But I asked him, well, what is, your, what is your moral grounding? If your moral grounding is not in Scripture, where is it? And he, he couldn't answer that question. He, could, he, had no, he didn't have an answer for what his moral grounding was um, so uh, the, 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 the deal is and the important thing is here t- tonight this morning is that God has said I, I'm not just going to ask you to have a feeling about me I'm going to give you constant visual tangible reminders that I love you that I am guiding you that I have a plan for your life it, faith is not a leap in the dark I said, faith is not a leap in the dark. uh, Faith is visualizing and seeing what God is constantly doing around you and how he's constantly, you you just watch and you will see that God is constantly bringing a a word to you, a point to you, a person into your life. God, God never leaves you all alone, he always brings some. Even like, like, uh, like, say John, uh, the beloved, who was on the Isle of Patmos, and he was on the, there, and he was he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Uh, you might say, well, God, he was all alone. He didn't think. Look at the vision he got. Read the book of Revelation. I mean, God gave him tangible reminders that that he was guiding the universe. And God will do the same thing for you. I will promise you he will. See, the crowd, let's define the crowd. We define the cloud as the tangible reminder of God's presence and the guarantee of guidance on the journey. Let's define the crowd. The crowd is the reality or illusion that many people, most people, or people that matter most hold a certain belief or opinion. Uh, the influence, by the way, the influence of the cloud, I, I, and this is going to, this is going to, uh, you, you're, some of you are going to probably disagree with this, but I believe if you study it, it will bear out. The influence of the crowd is based more on logic. See, since I've concluded there's a God who created all things, I should trust His word and opinion above all else. That's logic. In fact. Jesus was called the Logos. The Word became flesh. That little, that little term word there is Logos. The Logos, the logic, became flesh and dwelt among us. 
If there's a Jesus, and if there's a God, if Jesus died on the cross, if he rose from the dead, it's logical that he would have the best direction for our lives. That's just logic. The influence of the crowd is based more on emotion and short-term immediate consequences. If I, if I object, those friends won't like me. Uh, if I go along, they will. That's emotional. Uh, if I don't go along with that narrative or group think at the office, I might not get the promotion. I might lose my job. I, I, I might not get funding. If I'm a scientist and I don't agree with the narrative that's being, that's being um, promulgated, if I don't agree with the narrative that's being promulgated, I won't get funding for this project. That's not logical. That's emotional. God has designed us and, and, and called us to, to the Logos and to subdue our emotions underneath the Logos. And, and, and I want to I just give you some, something right now. Uh, I want to give you some examples of how we, we blow out of proportion the belief that a certain way is actually embraced by everyone in the first place. We, we have this illusion that everybody... And, and uh, I get this from a... A wonderful book by James Davison Hunter called Changing the World. And he says this. In a recent Gallup poll, there was an even split between those who said Darwin's theory of evolution is supported by evidence and those who said it is not supported by evidence. Even a 50-50 split. Now you would think that those of us who believe God created the world instead of the, uh, solely the evolutionary process, you would think that that's about maybe 5% of us. Well, according to this Gallup poll, it's 50%. Would you ever think that there's 50%? In the same poll, 45% of respondents agreed with the statement that God created human beings pretty much in their present form at one time within the last 10,000 years or so. And 38% opted for a form of evolutionary creationism in which, um, in which uh, the development of human beings from less advanced forms of life was divinely directed... Only 13% said that God had no part in the process. Now you would think that nobody agrees with you. That we, we little Christians, we're just this little band of people and we have this opinion and that the rest of the world doesn't agree with us. A, a similar scenario exists in the question of abortion. 50% of those surveyed in this same poll responded that abortion should be legal only in some circumstances. With 33% of the total saying it should be legal in a few circumstances and 17% saying it should be legal in many circumstances. Only 17% said that abortion should be legal in many circumstances. Now you would think from the narrative, from media and every place else, that everybody is all, aboard, all on board with full-term abortion. But it's just not true. So don't be so sure that you're actually following the crowd when you think you're following the crowd. So why don't you just forget the crowd and go read your Bible? That's my choice. The problem is, even with this diversity of opinion, the masses will often move in unison toward a wrong decision, as the mob did who shouted, Crucify him! <laughs> I guarantee you... If you'd have had a vote 
a, a secret ballot vote in Jerusalem about crucifying Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have gotten crucified. It was a mob movement that crucified Jesus. You know, I follow a group of pastors on Twitter that are crowd checkers. They claim the cloud has moved every time the crowd moves. But I can predict how their interpretation of Scripture is going to change. I can predict because of what the crowd's going to say. And I'll go on Twitter next week and they will have changed their interpretation of Scripture. They're crowd checkers. They're not cloud checkers. That's why Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. There will always be the perception if you're going to follow Jesus. There will be the perception that you're in the minority. Let me tell you something. Maybe we are in the minority, but we're the mighty minority. It takes courage to think apart from the crowd and wisdom to never think apart from God. This is a thing I've said many, many times over the years. Do not think apart from God. Do not think apart from God. Do not think apart from God. Whoever hears these sayings of mine does them. I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat in the house and did not fall for it was founded on the rock. So today... I'm simply calling you to a singular commitment to put God, His Word, and His well-established truth ahead of all else. I'm calling you to be willing to sit with the discomfort of being disagreed with, disapproved of, misunderstood, because you're looking up and forward instead of in and out, in and around, I should say. Instead, up and forward for what is true. Instead of... uh, uh, discern what you discern public opinion always is and how accepted you feel or not accepted you feel with what you're quite sure is not true truth will always ultimately prevail over trends I said truth will always prevail over trends if we had time I would show you I would show you historically how trends the things that we thought that were trending in the 50 years ago we think are silly today what is cool today will be mocked at in 50 years but God's truth remains ultimately Christ himself is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night whose word and will come to us by the Holy Spirit residing in our hearts in the scripture and in the church And I'm not going to call you forward or anything, but I want us to bow our heads for a moment. And I wonder if there's anyone here today who hasn't started that journey of trusting Christ. You don't even have to agree with me on all the issues. You probably can read between the lines even in this sermon and see maybe how I feel about certain issues. You don't have to agree with me. We don't... You're not saved because of a certain philosophical point of view. That's not what, that's not what saves you, is you have this identical philosophical view or you interpret Scripture the way I do. I mean, let's study it together and let's see, and maybe you can show me I'm wrong. That's great. So 
that's not the starting point. The starting point is not, is not philosophical or political agreement. The starting point is trusting Him, trusting Jesus, that what He did on the cross was sufficient for all you are, and His Holy Spirit will guide you into all truths. You will, you will be guided into truth as you walk this journey. The journey and the deliverance from sin's hold on your life is a separate experience. Start the journey. And don't worry about the journey. I mean, get out of Egypt, and then, then we'll talk about the journey. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you have never prayed it, or you ha- you, maybe you prayed it one time, but you've lifted, lived, drifted away from it, please pray it with me in your just silently pray it with me out loud if you want and then please let somebody know a friend that brought you to church a family member call me come up to see me after church so listen I prayed that prayer to start following Jesus pastor would you help me I'll be glad to help you I'd love to help you with your journey let's pray to repeat after me let's do it everybody let's just do it out loud everybody do it out loud and then those who are praying it for the first time or first time in a long time will just be comfortable to pray it with us you ready father in the name of Jesus I come to you admitting that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need a Savior to to deliver me from my sins and make me a child of God. Jesus, you're my Savior. I receive you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.